So we are in this chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, thinking about a courageous life of faith. And last week, um, Louise introduced this idea of faith um, from the first part of Hebrews 11. If I can have the next slide, it says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And Louise talked about how faith is almost in the waiting. It's about the now, but also the looking ahead to what's yet to come. So she was talking about how Abel worshipped in the waiting, how he offered a better sacrifice than his brother, how Enoch walked in the waiting, how Enoch uh, pleased God with his life, how Noah worked in the waiting, building an ark when that just seemed completely and utterly ridiculous. And tonight we're thinking about Abraham and Sarah. And you're going to have to excuse me. Um, um, if you've got the passage open, I would suggest, if you can find another one, opening Genesis. I'm going to be a two-Bible boy today. Um, because actually, uh, Genesis, kind of Genesis 12, maybe through to 17, there's a lot in there. We're kind of straddling the two. Because Hebrew says a lot, but actually there's so much to miss. And so it's worth having both open. So Abel worshipped, Enoch walked, Noah worked, and Abraham and Sarah went. It says in Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. They followed God's command, as simple as that. Um, give me a wave if you've been on one of those high ropes courses and kind of go ape one of those. I, we used to go to those quite a lot as a kid. My brother was a big fan, um, slightly more than me, a big fan of go ape courses and all those things. And I remember my first time going to one, they kind of say, okay, let me just show you how it works. I mean, actually, they'd say show you the ropes, wouldn't they? That's funny. Um, and they'd strap you into the harness and you'd stand on a little wire, maybe 20 centimetres off the ground, and you'd kind of just check that the harness works. It looks stupid when I'm stood on stage. But what they're doing is they're saying, look, this harness works now 20 centimetres off the ground, so that when you're 20 foot off the ground, you know that that harness works. It's, it's really important that that's, that's part of kind of being an instructor, is making sure that the person who's on the course has faith in that harness. And the thing I find amazing about Abraham and Sarah in this moment, or Abraham and Sarai, as they're called in that part of scripture, is that this is really early on. God says, go to a land that I will show you. He's not giving them a what three words location. He's not put it into Google Maps. He, they don't know where they're going. They just know that God will say it, and that's enough for them to go. In, in my head, that's like being put in a harness and, and set off 20 feet up, because that feels like a huge thing. I think where they, where they lived was, was really nice. It was really advanced, and suddenly they're camping, which is rubbish, isn't it? And they have two main callings, and, and they both come from God, which is the only reason that they feel secure in this harness. And their two callings are one, to a nation, and two, to a vocation. Um, so Abraham was told to go to this new nation. He was told to go to the land that God would show him. But it's not only about going to that place. You know, it says that he will make you into that great nation. So he's actually called into a job. He's called to go somewhere and to do something, and he's called to go to this land, wherever that may be, and to basically father an entire nation, to be the parents of descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. You can see my little doodle, just in case you forget. And in an ancient culture where your identity is defined by your ancestors and dependent on your descendants, this is really appealing, probably, to Abraham and Sarai, but seemingly impossible. They're very old. They've tried and tried for children many times, and 
in terms of their family tree, they probably think they've come to a genealogical dead end. Actually, this is as far as we're going to get. But they go. Abraham and Sarah went. And I think it's beautiful if you look at Hebrews 11, um, 9 onwards. It talks about how he makes his home as a stranger in a foreign country, living in tents, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He's looking forward to something. Now, I know a few people in the room went to see Harry Styles last week. Could you just give me a wave if you went to see Harry Styles? There are a few of you, weirdly all on this side of the room. It's strange, isn't it? Now, all I saw that I thought was amazing about all these Harry Styles concerts is that in every single location, whether that's Wembley or Cardiff or anywhere, there were fans camping outside. And they were camping outside for days. If Harry Styles isn't your bag, you can think about those guys who were camping outside the coronation, waiting and waiting and waiting. And and those people who were camping were doing that because they wanted to be the first in to see Harry Styles. They wanted to be on the barrier. They wanted to be like throwing flowers and screaming and probably sniffing him. I don't know. Like, I, don't, I don't know what's in their mind. But they choose to camp out outside this gig because they know Harry Styles is on his way. They'll be really uncomfortable now because they know something good is coming. And, and I think this is what Abraham and Sarah choose to do. They go, we're going to make ourselves uncomfortable now so that... The future, this city whose architect and builder is God, so that that can be realized. And I just think, wow, what would it look like if we, as a church, we as Christians, we as people even, chose to go and and live that way and say, actually, I'm not going to do the stuff that is comfortable or easy. We choose the hard way, the uncomfortable way, because we know that the city of God is coming. We don't choose the selfish or the greedy, the way we would naturally choose Abraham and Sarah went, but actually that doesn't mean they always make the right choices. And this is where we have to jump back into Genesis, because Abraham and Sarah wobbled quite a lot. Like They, they wobble an incredible amount. And it's, I think it's incredible that Hebrews just doesn't mention it. Hebrews talks about Abraham as this great man of faith. You know, this man, is, his, his faith is credited as righteousness. They quote Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous one will live by faith. It's this pinnacle. But when you go back into Genesis, they're told, we're told, sorry, all these things they do. He's told to go, and then, you know, even if you look at the headings, they go to Egypt because there's a famine in the land. There's, there's fear that surrounds them, and they go, no, we, we can't stay here. God isn't going to provide for us here. We'll go to Egypt. And then the fear of Pharaoh comes in, and so Abraham's like, okay, I'm going to pretend my wife is my sister so that, that nothing can happen. And then it, it, it all gets really messy. And luckily, God delivers them from that, and Pharaoh realizes and, and doesn't kill them off, which would be the natural thing for the head of a superpower to do. He just lets them go by the grace of God. And you'd think they, they'd learn their lesson from that. But then if you turn the page, it, it, it gets more complicated. There's this whole business with Lot, and there's, there's war, and there's problems, and... and Abraham's nephew, Lot, is taken away, and Abraham has to go and rescue him. And then, you know, to speed up and speed up, Abraham decides to take the fatherhood of all nations into his own hands and sleep with the servant girl, Hagar, um, and and have a child with her because, well, God isn't doing it yet, so why don't I take it into my own hands? And then when Sarah, or Sarai, at that point, is told that she's going to get pregnant, she laughs. That's, that's quite far from uh, where it says in Hebrews that she considered him faithful who made the promise. And and I list all of these events, maybe slightly excessively, to prove the point that actually it wasn't just that Abraham and Sarah made, like, a mistake, and so Hebrews is like, well, just cover that. Again and again and again, 
we see that they just make wrong choices. They don't quite hit the mark, and yet Hebrews still refers to them in this amazing way. And God is still moving. There's two things I think that God does in these wobbles. The first thing, I think God reminds Abraham and Sarah of the promise that he gives them. Again, if you look through, and I don't have time to do it now, and you, and you highlighted all the parts where God speaks to Abraham and Sarai, you'd be amazed. Because again and again, despite them wobbling, he says, I've called you to this. I've said I'd do this. I'm your shield, at one point, he says. He reminds them again and again of who he is. But then he renames them, and he comes to Abraham and Sarai, and he says, no, your names now are Abraham and Sarah. And I've heard it often said that the name of God, referred in the Old Testament, Yahweh, is almost like the intake and exhale of breath. You kind of go, Yahweh. And I find it interesting that that the consonant that is added to Abraham and Sarai's name is almost like a breath. It's Abraham. It's Sarah. It's almost like God is giving them his breath, like he breathed into Adam. He's giving them his spirit. He's, He's saying, you are mine. He's putting part of himself and part of his name into them. He reminds them and he renames them so that they know exactly who they belong to and who they're with. And I think it's amazing that actually Hebrews doesn't even remember these wobbles. It doesn't say Abraham was a great man of faith despite A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. It it, it doesn't go like that. And and what does that mean for us? It means that when we think, oh, it's great to look back at Abraham and Sarah, isn't it? But they're great people of faith and I'm an idiot, (laughs) which is what I think lots of the time. I can remember that actually in those moments where I wobble in my faith, God will remind me of who he is and of his promises to me. Even this week, reading through the story of Abraham to prepare for this talk, I'm just reminded of his promises to me. And God, through Jesus, gives us a new identity and he gives us a new spirit. He reminds us and he renames us. And the beautiful thing is actually, when we do wobble, the death of Jesus covers it and it it wipes it clean. So Abraham and Sarah went, Abraham and Sarah wobbled, and now this one, I'm really sorry, doesn't quite fit, but we'll have to deal with it. Abraham and Sarah weasoned. Now, that's that's close, isn't it? But if if you look at verse 19 of Hebrews 11, if you scan down, oh, oh no, it's not 19, sorry, I'll turn the page. Oh, it is 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And this, in my head, if you think that some of this story is like a high ropes moment, this is your leap of faith moment. I could never do the leap of faith when I was a teenager. If if you've ever wondered why I work here and take lots of photos, it's because as a teenager, when we went to youth places and did that, I was the one who was like, I'll just take the photos at the bottom. I've got lots of photos of my brother leaping off stupid things, and I'd be the one taking the photos. But Abraham and Sarah get to a point where they can reason that this faith is informed, that this isn't blind, this isn't stupid or reckless, it's informed. And, and, it, and it says it about both of them. It says slightly earlier in Hebrews 11 that Sarah considered him faithful. This is a, this is a thought process. But the leap of faith moment, I think, is where Abraham is called to sacrifice Isaac. And I remember teaching this to a group of kids. Uh, it, was, it was Meg and I were on a church weekend away with my home church, and the theme was instead. Um, and we were talking about how Abraham uh, had to sacrifice Isaac, and instead of Isaac, a ram was provided as a sacrifice. And at the beginning, I kind of opened up and I said, okay, kids, does anybody know who Abraham is? 
And they all looked a little bit blank. And then one kid go, yes, um, he was a president of the United States of America. And, I, and the thing is, he wasn't wrong. And, I go like, well, it's a different Abraham, and I tell the story, and we're making a split-pin craft a bit later on, because they are the best crafts ever. And it was one where there's a little, a little Isaac, and when you spin it round, there's a little sheep. It was great. And this, the same boy was kind of sat there, and he's just colouring in kind of peaceably, and he goes, Jack, which you always know is a sign that he's about to say something funny. Um, isn't it funny that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated? And at that point, I thought, not really, but we, we continue. Uh, isn't it funny that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated? And Abraham from the Bible nearly assassinated his own son. And then he just pauses, and then he just keeps on coloring. And I'm there like, yeah, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? But actually, when you think about it, it is weird. It's a weird story, and it, and it, and it spells it out really plainly in Hebrews 11. That he who embraced the promise, this is verse 17, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So... The whole of the promise that I've given you, Abraham, is going to come through this child, and now give him to me. Give him up. It, it doesn't really make sense, but what does Abraham do in that moment? He reasoned. And he can make this leap of faith, I think, because he stood on the wire 20 centimetres up. He stood on the wire 20 foot up. He's seen God again and again deliver him from Pharaoh, deliver him from armies that were warring and had, he had to get Lot out of them, deliver him from all these situations. Give him a son. It says in Hebrews 11 that, that Abraham was as good as dead, verse 12. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abraham knew because he'd already been 20 foot up, that his own deadness was not a barrier to God's power, that even his deadness, his age, wasn't a barrier to God doing amazing things. He knew that God had the authority to demand the impossible, as he had from Abraham and Sarah when he suggested that Isaac would be conceived, and the power to perform the impossible like he did when Isaac was conceived. And he knows that God is good and faithful. Abraham knows that if God could bring an infant in Isaac out of Abraham's deadness, as it says in the passage, then surely God can bring life. He can reason that God would bring life out of Isaac's deadness, if, if that's where this story is going. And so he can reason that, that God is good and faithful. And it's no mistake of the writer of Hebrews that they refer to Isaac as Abraham's one and only son, because obviously that whole moment points to Jesus and I think it's amazing, and I think it's the intention, surely, of the writer of Hebrews, that Abraham and Sarah and Abel and Enoch and Noah and all these people that we look to, they, they haven't gotten near Jesus yet. And it has this whole bit in the middle about the promise that's ahead and that they haven't seen it realized. And it's almost when we read it, we think, gosh, they have faith without even seeing Jesus without even seeing how good Jesus is. I mean, surely he's, he's like the best harness. When we look back to his death and his resurrection, that one and only son in a crown of thorns taking our place, like, like the, the ram found in the, in the thicket of thorns taking the place of Isaac. Surely the writer of Hebrews is saying, you guys can have faith because if they had faith, and they haven't even seen Jesus, then, then you can reason. You can logically see that this is true. 
Because I think that faith is about logically assessing that what God has said to us and what God has done is true, and then living accordingly in that truth. It's about seeing what God has done. He reminds us what he does, and we can see it in Scripture. We're so lucky to have this book that tells us. But because of that, we can reason, we can understand, we can respond to what Jesus has done. That's a, that's a stronger and a more secure harness than any other that we'll try I'm much more likely to jump off a leap of faith knowing Jesus has got me than I am one of those harnesses I'm not quite sure of. And so how, how do we respond to this? Well, I think we can live now in tents, knowing that the future is held by God, that there is a city whose architect and builder is God with foundations, there's strength, there's power in that. We can live in those tents, we can wobble knowing that God holds us even in that, and he reminds us of who he is again and again and again. When we wander, he waits for us. And when we turn around, he comes running. But also, we don't just have to rely on this faith thing being bubbly and up high and something up here that we kind of hold on to. Because it is said at the beginning of Hebrews 11, it's confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so we can reason knowing that Jesus has won the victory. That's why we say hallelujah. And we can reason that because he's done it, actually whatever God calls us to is almost nothing in comparison. We're going to sing now. Um, I'd love to invite you, if you're willing and able, to just stand. I'd love the band to come up. And, and um, as always, we'd love to pray um, I'd, I'd love to pray for us and, but if there's something specific that has been poking you we, we would love to pray for you there'll, there'll be a team of prayers over here as normal um, who would love to come alongside you and pray with you and for you and it'll be no surprise that the, th- the three things that I think we need to be praying for is I think there are some people who need to just have the power to go in the way that Abraham and Sarah went that actually there is something that God is calling you, and it may be that you know what that is, or you really have no idea and you need some guidance. If that's you, we would love to pray for you. It might be that you just feel a bit wobbly at the moment, and there's something that is in the way, there is something that's distracting you, there's something that you've taken into your own hands, or something that you've run away from, and you just need to pull it back together and go back to God with it, and know that he renames you and gives you a new identity and a new heart. Or it might just be, and this is big, that that the faith that you have, whether that is new or old, I think we work so hard on making it a heart faith that sometimes we realise we don't trust it with our head. If If you look at your life, is there anything that you do that makes no sense, but makes sense when you look at faith? Because if not, then maybe like me and that harness and that leap of faith, you don't quite trust it. And we'd love to pray for more of that trust and more of God reminding you of his goodness. Or, as always, it may be none of those things. It may just be that you've had a rubbish week and you need somebody to come alongside you. It may be that there is a situation with a friend or a family member or something going on at work that you just need to pray for. We'd, we'd love to pray for that.
Let me pray and then we'll sing together.